Okay, John chapter 13 together tonight. And we said we're, we've been looking at this passage. We're going to look at this passage for the next few weeks. And it's going to be uh, both Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. So thanks for coming back tonight to look at it. So the theme is Jesus up close, or close to Jesus, I should say. And we're in the upper room. So these are the hours, the, literally the hours just before Jesus' death on the cross and his burial. So we are at the Passover, the Last Supper, and our theme verse is verse number 1 of John 13. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And so, of course, on Sunday, we really emphasize the fact that in these last moments, Jesus is expressing his love to his disciples. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about Jesus, specifically, part two, Jesus and his chosen. And so we're going to read verse number 18 and following, but to set the context back up with me to verse number 12. So this will remind us of where we left off last time. So, John 13 and verse number 12, it says this, And so after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, or it was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So you remember, the, the context, in just a few verses before, Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples. We talked about that, both the, the lesson for them, Jesus says now, that they're supposed to do that for each other, that you should do this for one another. But also we saw on Sunday that there was a, a, a theological or a, a very doctrinal or a salvation and sanctification aspect to it, and that was the discussion between Jesus and uh, and Peter, where Jesus says, you're clean, but you do need your feet washed sometimes. And we looked at that on Sunday. But notice what he says in verse, what he said in the last few verses is he makes a direct application to his disciples. And he says, you need to be servants, just like I, I have been a servant to you. And so if I am the master, then wouldn't it, and I have washed your feet, then you should do the same for each other. And then I love verse number 17. Look at verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now, isn't that interesting, that statement right there? If you do this, you'll be happy in doing this. Now, why is that an interesting statement? Or is it just me that finds that statement to be interesting right there? Yes. Right. Right. 
Exactly. So this low-level type of service, just getting down and serving someone, it's not usually, people don't, they don't, they're not beating down the doors and lining up and saying, pick me, pick me, pick me for the job. You have something more? Yeah, there are actually professions even that are service-oriented that aren't always even paid well, but there's a happiness that comes, Jesus says, you will be happy if you do this. There's a, there's a, there's a hymn that I grew up on, um, I am happy in the service of the king. I am happy, oh so happy. I have peace and joy and blessing in the service of the king. And so we find that the path to happiness, Jesus says, is through humility, is through service. So let's just kind of write that down in our, in our deep inside of us to remember that. There's happiness in service. But there was one person there who was not at all interested in a path of service. He had not signed up for discipleship for the purpose of service. And of course, who would that be? That's Judas. Now, all of the disciples... All of the disciples would struggle with this, right? They've all got this idea of that they want to be seen as important, but they also have tender hearts for the Lord. Judas, all along, he's not been about service. He's been about himself, and um, he's been very disillusioned at what Jesus has been talking about as of late. He's already met with the religious leaders in the temple, He's already agreed on the price for the betrayal of Jesus. All that's left to be done is the dirty deed itself. And so we come now to the betrayal. And so I want you to notice a few things, and I put them on your notes today. So on the back, the betrayal unfolds in verses 18 through 30. Now, Jesus just said to his disciples, you will be happy if you do these things. But now he says in verse number 18... I speak not of or about or concerning you all. In other words, what I've just described about this way of happiness and this way of service, it does not apply to all of you. Now, he says this, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Interesting in verse number 18. So lest someone should say, well, well Jesus, how could you, like, if you're so, if you're so amazing, if you're so all-knowing, how could you lose even one of your disciples? And what Jesus is saying here is this was, he knew. I knew who I chose from the very beginning. Even the betrayer was chosen. Now, just put, store this nugget somewhere for your later Bible study, especially when it comes to things like God's choosing. We need to remember that th the word chosen is used in different contexts all throughout the Bible. Do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, there's times where, where um, 
some of you nodded your head and some of you shook your head. That's good. I'm glad you're telling me, no, I don't understand. Let me tell you. Well, what I mean is sometimes people are chosen for service. Like they're chosen for a specific task. Jeremiah the prophet, for instance, was chosen at the very, from when? When was Jeremiah the, the prophet chosen? Anybody know? Go ahead, you know, say good and loud. Before he was born. God said, I chose. Now, what was Jeremiah chosen for? He was chosen to be a prophet. There are people that were chosen for, for service. There are, there are people that were chosen to be used in judgment. God's choosing is for all kinds of different purposes. And that's important because Judas was chosen by Jesus Christ. He was of the chosen, but he was not of the redeemed. And that's an interesting distinction. And so when you come across people that like to, to teach about God choosing people and electing people and predetermining things about people, it's important to remember that God uses this in different ways. Even Judas was chosen, but he was not chosen for ultimate salvation because he never believed on Christ, truly. Okay, I don't want to create a whole study out of that tonight, but it's an important note to be made. But Jesus says, I know who I've chosen. We say, well, Ethan... How do you know that? I could read this another way, and he could really be here be saying that I know whom I have chosen, and Judas was never really one of the true chosen. Well, look, just to make sure we're interpreting this correctly, turn back a few pages to John chapter 6, and look with me at John chapter 6 and verse number 70. John chapter 6 and verse number 70. John 6, 70. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you, how many? Twelve. And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for, it was, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So back in John chapter 13, and in verse number 18, Jesus says, I know whom I've chosen. I knew what I was doing in the choosing. Now, there had to be a betrayal. Judas was the one who it was known would betray, betray Christ. Now, the prophecy was also being fulfilled. Jesus says, so it's like, well, Jesus, then why did you choose him knowing that he would betray you? Well, because the scripture had to be fulfilled. And the scripture fulfilled is from Psalm 41 and verse number 9. I put that on your handout tonight. Psalm 41 and verse number 9. This is David writing. David says, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. We did a study about a year and a half ago on David, and we saw much of the of the, the, how Jesus was pictured in King David, that David was symbolic, both a real person, but also his life was prophetic and symbolic of his, the ultimate David, Jesus. Well, one of the ways that David, in his life, prophesied about Jesus was in David's being betrayed. And so it's widely recognized that this passage, Psalm 41, verse 9, is a reference to the time when David was being chased by his son Absalom, who had betrayed him. And he writes this psalm in desperation 
But the, uh, the psalm is not about Absalom. The psalm is about someone that betrayed him dearly, which would be Ahithophel, who was his dear counselor, someone that would, would be close to David all of the time, and yet he turned his back on him and served David's enemy. So you see the picture of Christ. You see the picture here of Judas, where, where Judas is one close to Jesus, and he betrays Jesus for the side of the enemy against the true king. There's all kinds of pictures of Antichrist and, and, and all of that there, but I'll leave that to you to ponder on your own. Do you see how else this is very specific? This is a very specific fulfillment of prophecy, especially in the moment here. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. What is, what is it? I see you nodding your head. Huh? Okay, yep. There's something else in the, in the description. The eating of the bread. So what's about to happen? They're sitting there. And if you remember what, if we're going to read it in a minute, what does Jesus do to signify Judas as the betrayer? He gives him what? Yeah, a piece of bread, a little morsel. He gives him a piece of bread as the symbol. And now he says this, that this prophecy fulfilled would be a future evidence of his Messiahship. Look with me there at verse, at the rest of, uh, or verse number 19. Jesus says this, now I tell you before it come. In other words, like what difference does it make if the disciples know now or it happens? They're not, nothing is going to change about it. Jesus says, I'm letting you know ahead of time that this is going to happen because when it happens, you're going to look. It's just going to be one more piece of evidence that says what? That says, yes, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is who he said he was. The prophecy was fulfilled. Everything has come to pass, as he said. It reminds me of, if you remember the story after the resurrection of Jesus, there's uh, Jesus meets two wanderers, two journeyers, disciples, who are on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus, in his, glory, in his new body, doesn't look exactly like he did. His resurrected body, he comes to these two people and they're talking about all that has happened with the death of Jesus. And Jesus starts talking to them about the scriptures and how it's all, and it's like the, what happens is all the pieces start to come together and their eyes are open. They understand this is him and, and all of the scriptures are put together. And that's what would happen for the disciples. After the resurrection of Jesus, it all just starts to, all of the things that he had said for three years just come flooding back to mind. The Holy Spirit brings them back to them. So, this is another evidence of his Messiahship. Now, look what he does next. He gives some assurance, though, to the faithful, the faithful ones. Verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, the verily, verily, the truly, truly, the, that's a double statement there. It, the point is emphasis. Like, we have exclamation points. They had a verily, verily. Truly, truly, he says to them that he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Now, that is going to be, that is a, a 
um, an encouragement to the disciples ahead of, about, of what's about to happen. Can you see how that would be so? Maybe, how, what do I mean by that? Somebody help us out here. What do I mean that this is an encouragement to these disciples in light of what they don't realize is about to happen? So Judas is going to betray. What else is going to happen? Jesus is going to be arrested. The disciples are automatically going to be afraid that everything's over. And Jesus, yes. Right. And that those who, like, you're doing God's work, basically. Like, though the difficulty is coming, what you're doing is the work of God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget the importance of the task that you've been called to. Because we have to remember the humanity of the apostles, that everything is about to be shaken. In fact, so he gives them this encouragement here, and then when we get to chapter 14, he's going to say, let not your heart be troubled. So it gives them this, this, this reinforcement. Now we come down to verse number 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. What do you think the idea, what do you think is going on? It says Jesus was troubled in spirit. He was troubled in spirit, and he testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. I think we're, yeah, I think there's the, the it's just like Jesus weeps, it, he, or he sweats drops of blood in the garden, he prays, Father, if it's, there's a, there's an agony of soul that's going on. It is going to happen, right? And there's the, when Jesus took on when Jesus took on our humanity, we, it's, 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 we don't have a hard time understanding that he, he bore physical pain for us, right? But we're not just, as humans, we're not just physical, right? We're emotional. We're psychological. And Jesus took that on as well, the, the, the stress the, you know, there's a balance. Of course, Jesus did not have fear, right? Perfect love casts out fear. But at the same time, th there is that idea of what's about to happen. And, the, and, just the, and just the being troubled of being betrayed. I mean, he had just washed his feet. He had loved him. Yeah. He, 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 I was thinking that same thing at the, at, the, at the moment of betrayal when Judas comes and brings the crowds, Jesus greets him as friend. In other words, Jesus has shown, Jesus has shown Judas nothing but love, yet he's been betrayed. 
in a sense, is that not the heart of all of the rejecting world against Christ? Like we have a hard time understanding the just wrath of God, but when you put it in that perspective that God has shown nothing but love to the whole world, yet those who betray Christ, reject Christ, they would rather pleasure, money, stat, whatever it is that they would rather have in place of Christ. And, and Jesus is troubled by this. Yes, Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a very if you didn't hear all of that, I think that's a very interesting point to ponder that Jesus is perhaps not only troubled by Judas's betrayal, but knowing that he would give his life for humanity and so many would join Judas. And that's that's possible as well. Yeah, Vlad. Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay. So Jesus is troubled by this, and he says, one of you will betray me. Now, verse 22, I've never really been able to wrap my mind around exactly how this all plays out in the next few verses. It says in verse 22 that, the disciples looked at one another, doubting of whom he spake. In other words, they're like, who is he talking about? Who? Who could it be? Which is interesting, because Judas was such a pretender. He was so, he blended in so well. Never did they expect. They had no clue. They, they had no clue who it could be. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. There's that little, that little hint that we spoke about on Sunday. That's John. John was there. He was the one closest to Jesus. And he, he says that Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. So the... Um, There's, there's John leaning on Jesus, and all the disciples are wondering, and he beckons to him. Like, he just kind of gives him the signal. Like, you ask him. He gives him a, he says, you ask him who it is. And he, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop. That's, it's a morsel. It's a little piece of the, of the bread. The bread would be broken. It would be dipped in, in the, uh, the spices and what, what they had there, the oil. And, and he says, it, it's him who, who I'm going to give the sop to when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And they still don't understand Nobody under, so I have always had a hard time, maybe you, you can shed some light on this for me, 
But I've always had a hard under time understanding, like, why didn't they get the signal? Now, maybe, maybe Jesus said it quietly to John. Maybe he didn't make it a, a big announcement. Maybe this is just something, and maybe John missed the significance of it. But the point is this. Jesus, I, I think the point of the passage is this. Jesus knows, and Judas knows. And this is a moment between Jesus and Judas, because, I'll get to your points in a second, guys, just one second. He says... Um, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. So there's that moment where they know. What were you going to say? Uh, Carl first. Right. Right, they're going to try to stop it. It almost distracts them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. He couldn't be the betrayer because he just sent him on a mission. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a good way to understand it, possibly. Better than I had thought, yep. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe. They're not processing it, really. Right. Right. Yeah, right, verse 29. It's verse 29. For no man knew at the table for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, well, because he has the bag, in other words, he's the treasurer, that Jesus said, buy the things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Carl's interpretation on this one as far as how, what, why the disciples don't get it. It's because he's quickly giving him an assignment. Yeah. Right, so they know. So, and Jesus would, he concealed things all throughout his ministry. So I think you're not without biblical precedent for that. So what happens, though, at the moment, and when Jesus says what you're going to do, do it quickly, who is he talking to? 
in verse number 27. I, 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 I think he's speaking to Satan. Huh? Yeah. Right. That's interesting, too, that even Satan is under the authority of Jesus. Jesus has control of the timing of these events. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. Satan wanted Peter. That's interesting. Peter, Satan desires you. Satan desired all of those apostles, but he only got... There's a lot of interesting thoughts here. Yes. I, 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 can you speak a little louder? Yes. Right. Right, this is time. Go, do it. I, I do believe he's speaking to Satan. Now, we, the point was raised a few minutes ago about the danger of grieving the Holy Spirit. I, I think we need to remember that for the true believer, Satan ha- has no ultimate power over the true believer. Satan was not able to enter into Peter, because, I believe because of Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, yes, and I say, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. It's on the rock of Peter's confession. Peter has a true confessed belief in the Lord. Is Peter going to grieve the Holy Spirit in just a few hours? Yeah. Is Satan going to sift him? No, Satan's not going to sift him. I mean, I guess that would take a little... um, what What do you say, yes or no? I would have to do, that's a really good point. After this is done, I'm going to go back and look at the sifting passage. So let's put that on hold, actually. So I, please don't look at it right now because we've got a little bit more to cover. But I do want to look at that, to, was the, what, what that sifting is. Was that Satan desires to sift you, but you won't be sifted? Either way, he is tempted by Satan. He is put through the trial. But, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm going to finish with that. So, but... None of the disciples were in the danger that Judas was in. That's an important thing to remember. None of the disciples were in, because Jesus said in John chapter 10, my father gives them to me, and no man is able to what? Pluck them out of my hand. So the, the 11 disciples are, they're not without capability of failure and sin and grieving the Holy Spirit, but they are not able to be controlled by the devil. Satan's not able to enter into them. Now, it says in, let's, let's pick it up now in verse number um, 20, 30. He then, Judas, 
having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Now, it's possible that that's just a, a note of, for, you know, oh, it was nighttime. John's not really the one that gives us all those kind of details, though. I tend to think, and other Bible commentators have noticed this, in John's writings, both in the Gospel of John and in the Epistles of John, he makes much, or the Holy Spirit uses him to make much of the contrast between darkness and light. After all, it was John who recorded the, the words that in 1 John 1, 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In John's gospel, chapter 1, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. In verse 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John also recorded the statement that uh, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He also noted that Nicodemus came to Jesus when? At night, for fear of the Jews. There's, so John speaks about this. You see it, and I gave you three more references. John 8, 12, John 12, 35, John 12, 46, where he speaks about the light in Christ, I am the light of the world. I am the light that lights every man that comes into the world. And in John chapter 12. So this is the ultimate darkness, this betrayal of Christ as Judas serves the prince of darkness. So the betrayal unfolds, and now in verse 31, but now the glory is about to be revealed. Therefore, when he was gone out, he's gone Judas is gone. The devil is gone, in a, in a sense. Jesus now is ready to say, now is the Son of Man glorified. In other words, all of the time, Jesus has been saying, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, it's not time yet. And Jesus says, now. Now comes the glory. The Father will be glorified in the Son. The Son will be glorified in the Father. Verse 32, if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself. Boy, that points to the deity of Christ, does it not? Why would the, the Father doesn't share his glory? One of the prophets recorded, I am the Lord, my, my glory I will not share with another. But the Father and Son, they share the glory. And, and how could the Son, if the Son is not equal with the Father, what glory would he have to give him? But they are both benefactor and recipient. In sharing of this glory. Yes. The Holy Spirit is glorified in chapter number 14. Yeah, in chapter 15. So the, the Spirit's coming. Just hang on, He'll be here in just, a, in just a minute. The Holy Spirit is the glory that's left with us. So the Father and the Son share in the glory and they give the... Yeah, anyhow. Good question, but ahead of it. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you. Jesus must accomplish his work all by himself. 
Why? Because it's the work of redemption. Because it's the work of salvation. He can't bring, his disciples cannot help him in this work. They've, been, they've helped him, they've served him, but he must go to the cross alone. You cannot come with me. And then ultimately he'll be glorified, he'll be in heaven. They, this will not be the time for them to come. And now he's, his glory is revealed, and now finally in the final verses, 34 to 38, the disciples are going to challenge. He's giving them some, some parting challenges. And really he is repeating what he said earlier after he washed their feet. A new commandment, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, if ye what? Have love one to another. How many times did he tell them to love each other in this passage? Right there. Did you count them? How many love each others are there there? Three. There's three. Right there. What I'm telling you is a new commandment, you need to love each other. The way that I loved you, love each other. And just so everybody knows that you're my disciples, I want you to what? Love each other. What is this, this, this pattern of threes and loving? Do we see that somewhere else? Is that again, when is that? Well, yeah, that's in the, it's not quite in the book of Acts. Yeah, the end of John. But we're ready. We're almost to the book of Acts at that point. Peter, do you love me? Yes. It says it again. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Three times he's asked. And again, in that love, if you love me, you're going to then do what? Feed my lambs. You're going to love my people. This love that's commanded, Jesus, Jesus makes a big, big deal. It's an emphasis. The disciples are challenged regarding their commitment to each other. They're called to love each other. And then they're going to be challenged, and they don't know how much, but they're about to be challenged with their, not just their commitment to each other, but their commitment to Christ. And so he says this. Peter says in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says to him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Again, I think that's interesting because in the immediate, where Jesus is going is to accomplish the work, salvation's work. Jesus has to do it alone. But when that work is done, Peter, now you can, you'll be able to follow me. And Peter, in the end, Peter is going to follow Jesus all the way, all the way to his own martyrdom. But in the meantime, his commitment's going to waver. Peter says in verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answers, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And their commitment to Christ just after his betrayal, their commitment to Christ is going to fail. But through it all, Jesus' commitment to them will never fail. 
his commitment to even the uncommitted disciples. And what Jesus accomplishes is, we know it's supernatural, but from a human standpoint, it is incredible. He takes people that, have fors- that will forsake him. They won't betray him, but they'll forsake him in his time of need. And then he will regather them to himself and send them out and make of them what they prove that they could not make of themselves. Because greater is he that is in you. And that's what I have for you tonight. Jim. Yeah, all of that is going to be fulfillment of prophecy. You're absolutely right. Anybody else? Closing thoughts? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. I'm just curious how you surveyed the majority of Bible commentators in the last 15 minutes. There are thousands of commentators. <laughs> in the last 10 minutes. Right. Nobody. Right. That's what I was thinking. That was the one I, when I was like, maybe it was a quiet conversation where Peter's like, ask him, you know? And he says it to and Jesus says, Lord, who is it? And he says, it's the one I give this op to, you know? And they don't hear it. So, yeah. Yeah. Speak up. Speak up. So, yeah. Well, as we, yes, Vlad. That's a good. That's that's very good. In fact, it's at the it's at this very supper that Jesus is going to breathe on them and say, "Receive the Holy Ghost." Yep. Yeah, John was tortured in his old age and his age, but in banished, but he died a natural death. We we do believe, but you're right. He endured. Exiled to Patmos, that, for where we received the the uh, letter to of Revelation. Yeah. All right. So just to remember that concluding thought from the whole passage: there's a betrayal, there's a lack of commitment. But those who are Christ's, it's not our commitment to Him that secures us; it's His commitment to us, and He still would accomplish something through even the, these uncommitted, fearful disciples because it's his power. He does in us what we cannot do in ourselves. Let's close in prayer tonight. Lord, we love you and thank you for the, the word that we've had to study tonight. I pray that our hearts would be just enriched by it and encouraged. 
Lord, please bless these next few minutes as we go to you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.